Jenna. And I'm Sam. And you're listening to Cincinnati Zoo Tales. All right, and welcome back to another episode of Cincinnati Zoo Tales. We have a big episode today. I know that Jenna and I have been working up for this for <laughs> quite a while. It's probably the top person that was on our list when we first started this podcast of people that we wanted to talk to and hear their journey and definitely hear what can we do, what can I do from them. But today we have Thane Maynard, the director of the Cincinnati Zoo here with us. So Thane, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, Sam, thanks. Yeah, we wanted to get a few practice episodes in before interviewing you to make sure we knew what we were doing first. Well, (laughs) this is fun. I'm sure you're busy. Well, you guys have done a lot. Jenny, you're famous because of Fiona. <laughs> Sam, you're busy here at the zoo, so I'm it's fun there. to get together. That's great. Yeah, so we just wanted to hear a little bit about you and your story and your background, and we're kind of wondering how you got in the zoo business, or yeah. did you have an aha moment that made you want to work at a zoo, or how did you get started? You know, that's an interesting question because it really represents a generational change. You know, when I came to the zoo, it was a long, long time ago. And the zoo is the same 76 acres or 67 acres, however many. But it was a different place. We only had 100 employees. We did not have a full-time vet, as an example. Wow. It was like a farm. So if an animal didn't eat or didn't get up, we would call a vet, and they'd come over and check on animals. And now, of course, we have three full-time vets that work with the collection, three uh, vet techs. We also have seven researchers at crew, four of whom are veterinarians. So, I mean, the whole zoo field has professionalized a lot. But it's been a long, long time. It's been 44 years. So I didn't, you know, I grew up in a small town north of Orlando, Florida. There weren't really zoos that were a big part of uh, my life or Florida way back then. I'm sure that Zoo Miami was there and and probably even Lowry Park Zoo in Tampa that I had not gone to. Um, But I did have two degrees in biology. I grew up in Florida in the last era before air conditioning. Oh, gosh. And so all kids did was go outside and go down to the lake or down to the creek and anywhere you could get wet because once you're wet, you didn't notice. And since there wasn't AC, nobody complained because, you know, it's like, oh, gosh, all my friends have air conditioning. You know, <laughs> yeah, you didn't know better. Um, so I spent a youth, you know, running around catching animals. And so that led to me studying biology. But like a lot of young men growing up, I didn't really have a career plan. My loose plan is that I would get a PhD and teach biology because I had a mentor in college who was really just wonderful. But after about a year in of my beginning, I was in a remedial statistics class because I'm I'm not really the the best at graduate statistics. And it was really just a study group. And I looked around at all these other folks, five other folks, and we all a bit seemed to be struggling with it. So I went around the table and said, how long have you been here? Because I'm Southern, I'm just friendly. The guy says, six years. I said, six years? Oh what? Anyway, I, I finally had a glimpse of how long graduate school could be, and I thought, I'm not sure I have the attention span for this. So I got out with a master's degree, and uh, again, wasn't sure what I was going to do. I thought a loose plan was, well, if I'm not going to be a college professor, I'll go to Africa. Oh, my gosh. That's a good thing. Dream. And yeah. so, um, you know, I'll get a truck and a, and a big wristwatch, and, and I'll... <laughs> drive around the planes and and do important things. But I did have a conversation that changed my life. There was a fellow graduate student who was actually a Maasai warrior from Kenya. And the head of the school had brought him over to be in the graduate program. And a wonderful guy and spoke English beautifully like East Africans do. And back then, you know, for some reason, even graduate students didn't seem to drink. So we went out for coffee. And I said to him, uh, Ole, his name's Ole Sayatodi, I said, 
I'm really excited to talk to you because I want to go to Africa. And he stops me and he says, the last thing Africa needs is one more white guy in a truck. Oh, yeah. And I thought, oh, man. And so it, it did change my direction. I thought, oh, gosh, now he said not to come. That makes me feel bad. Now, I've been fortunate to go there a lot, which is nice, but never to, like, just have my own truck, right? right. So along the way, during this whole process, my college girlfriend shows up and didn't want me to sneak off the hook. And so we got married. And so then I woke up one day, and I'm 23 years old. I have a new master's degree. And I think, I should probably get a job. <laughs> and it was like a major revelation. It really was. So uh, I was just finishing up at Michigan, but I was down here visiting in, in Cincinnati. So in the old days, there was no you know internet or cell phones or anything. So I looked through... Uh, the, a little directory, paper directory of the School of Natural Resources from the University of Michigan where I got my degree. And I, they had it geographically. And there was only one person in the whole region, three-state region, uh, who had graduated from that program. So it ends up it was a professor at the University of Michigan uh, teaching biology. So I call on the phone. This is back in the days when people answered their desk phones. <laughs> and I started to explain the whole thing. And, and she said, well, I'm busy. But meet me tonight at St. George's at 6 o'clock. Click. And so I said to my wife, where's St. George's? And she says, well, the only one I can think of is the Catholic Church on Calhoun by the university. So we look through the old-fashioned yellow pages, and sure enough, there's only one St. George's, which is now called Old St. George's. But, okay, so I get kind of cleaned up, and I go to 6 o'clock and start banging on doors. at a church. Well, it's a story, right? So I go around knock on the doors and finally get on the side door and the door opens. So here's a woman with short gray hair, glasses, cardigan sweater, crucifix. And I say, um, is Dr. Wurzelbacher here? And she turns around and says, Sister Thelma, there's a young man here to see you. And the professor's name was Dr. Thelma Wurzelbacher. And I thought, what is up? So this really nice lady comes out and I meet her and I say, I don't know if there was a mistake, but I'm looking for Dr. Wurzelbacher. And she said, oh, yeah, that's me. I teach at UC. But I'm also a nun. I'm a sister of charity, but come on in. So it's back when nuns lived there. And we went in and chatted. had a great time. We knew some people in common in Ann Arbor because she was not much older than me. And um, she eventually said, I don't know anything about jobs, but the zoo's two blocks from here, and they're building a new education center. They might need some people to help run programs. Well, as you know today... If there was a job open at a zoo anywhere, any accredited zoo, to help lead programs, there would be truly hundreds mm -hmm. of young people yep. who had degrees and had worked as interns and had volunteered as teenagers and had worked part-time to get a full-time job yes. at a zoo. It's a big deal because zoos still aren't very big businesses. But back then, it was what is now our treetops building. It was the world's first zoo education center. It had five classrooms. And I walked in, and sure enough, uh, they were like, sure, maybe you can start on Monday. Thought, oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> anyway, so, so I accepted the job. So anyway, a couple weeks later, I had to go back to, up to Ann Arbor to finish a few things. And it's back when you didn't get any electronic anything. There was literally little cubby holes, and you'd have a note in it. And there was a note that said the dean would like to see you in his office. And I thought you know, being optimistic in Southern. Gosh, that's nice. He must have heard about my job. And I'd never met the dean. So I go to his office, and I knock, and he says, close the door. And I thought, uh-oh. 
And he says, what's it say here about you getting a job at a zoo? I said, yes, sir, I got a job, $9,000 a year. It's a miracle. Isn't it? <laughs> I'm the only master's student who has a job. And I assume he's excited. He says, I, I want you to quit. Uh, you should not work here. This is a professional institution. We train people for the Fish and Wildlife Service and the Forestry Service. And we do not train people for zoos. He said, a zoo is a bad hybrid of a prison and a circus. Oh, no. And I want you to turn it down. And what's funny is, I was young, and I just thought, I can't even believe he says that because I've got a job. I mean, who, who gets a job, right? So I just thought somehow he was mistaken. Anyway, I, in hindsight, recognized that he was thinking of the zoo in the old days. So um, let's pretend, I don't know how old he was, but say he was 50 uh, and I was 23. So he would have had a memory from 30 or 40 years oh, prior yeah. of what a zoo was like. And then by this, the late 70s, they were improving vastly. And, of course, from then on, it really has been a, an arc of improvement at all, all accredited zoos, for sure. Um, anyway, but it was sort of funny that there you go. So uh, one thing led to the next. Back then, you know, our zoo, I'm not making this up, was 1% female employees. It was the director's secretary. All the keepers were just farm boys. Nobody had gone to college. It was just people that knew how to make sure you don't get kicked by zebras and stuff <laughs> like that. And, of course, today... Every accredited zoo I'm familiar with, from here to Disney, is majority female employees. Right. So that's changed in a generation. But I think it goes to the how you mentioned zoos have changed, and it has changed mm -hmm. from can you physically mm -hmm. and are you physically do the job? Are you willing to mess with all of the poop and uh, hard, mm -hmm. dirty work mm -hmm. to more focus on like more of the nurturing kind mm -hmm. of side of things oh, and making yeah. sure that the animals are happy and emotionally satisfied? And that could be a whole other episode. I feel like how oh, zoos yeah. have evolved. But I do think it's interesting because had I seen a zoo in the 50s or sure. whatever, I would not have ever yeah. wanted to work at yeah. a zoo. So yeah, it's changed a lot. It's changed a lot, yeah. Well, your point about animal care and animal keeping, I can tell you from having been here in the 70s and 80s, it was much more of sort of a rodeo culture. Mm -hmm. Literally, a call would come out. We need five guys down to the belt. We're going to chase the zebra till it gets in the horse trailer. And the first time I went down there, I'm like, is this the best plan? I mean, you ju it's just crazy. But some of it was a lifestyle thing, yes. like ranching. Like, yeah. We're tough. Yeah. For sure. Um, grabbing animals, wrestling animals. It, it sounds crazy today. We bring a great up a point with a great point with your story of the perception that some people still have of these cowboy days that mm -hmm. were here and how far zoos have come. And I know that you know from hearing you talk, if you haven't been able to tell, Thane is also our chief storyteller. He just <laughs> draws you in with the the stories that he has just um, by being here and. You know, you. I know you've said it before, is we don't shy away from people that are critical or might have thoughts about this. We want them to come in. We want them to see, you know, the story and the great care that we yeah. are providing, the conservation efforts and how zoos have evolved over the years as yeah. well. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast was to also, you know, share what we do at all the good that zoos, sure. good zoos do oh, yeah. these days. Well, you know, a very interesting transition I've seen. I've really noticed it in the last five years. It might have been a bit more than that, but... PETA, the People for Ethical Treatment of Animals, historically uh, were a bit anti-zoo. And they were certainly perceived as such. Um, over time, what's happened, in the United States at least, uh, is that accredited AZA zoos, uh, they are not against us. They've come to realize by looking closely at our accreditation levels, which go up every single five years that standards are higher, that good zoos actually are leaders in animal welfare and animal care. And... Uh, and that's a neat thing. So we, yeah, I didn't know they recognized we that. We agree on more things than we disagree on. Mm -hmm. 
and they take more of a stand on, uh, you know, roadside zoos, uh, sort of breeding centers like, you know, puppy mills where they breed all the tigers, things like that. They're very much against, but Mm -hmm. accredited zoos they're good with. So that's good to to recognize because we're both interested in animal welfare. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you got hired for the zoo, well, you said the first zoo's education yeah. in the whole country or world? Mm-hmm. That I know of in the whole wide world. Wow. A, a center like that. Zoos had long had, you know, maybe volunteer tour guides and different programs, maybe even summer camps. But the idea of here's this center uh, that then we staffed up and, and filled up with a wide variety of programs. And most of the programs you see today that we do, like overnights and, and tours and summer camps and all that, got their start back then. Yeah. Were you hired as the director of the education department? I was not. Uh, there was a man here, Barry Wakeman, who'd been here since, I, I want to say, somewhere in the uh, mid-60s. Uh, he went off in the very first wave of the Peace Corps to Kenya, brought that Maasai shield back. He had worked for the Maasai Army. Uh, they don't make them that well anymore. Uh, we've heard directly from our colleagues we partner with there. Wow. Those were back in the days when they really, really fought. Um, anyway... He got an undergraduate degree and a master's degree in biology and was our first zoologist, so it was in the animal department, and he worked for the general curator. Things were much simpler and smaller than in terms of administration. Um, but out of that showed a real interest in you know, teaching young people, and so when all this was getting going, he was the first person that ran the ed department, and then uh, a number of others of us uh, knew him when he was here. Dave Jenicky was in the ed department. Uh, when Barry was there, and Dan Marsh. Of course, the legendary Catherine Hilker. You'll have to do a podcast with yes, her. because she's, sure. she's, she's on the list. She's the diva, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then where did your career go from there? Well, I was in the ed department a long, long time, and about 25 years. And we saw many, many programs grow like crazy. You know, we just like today, we had classes that we taught through the University of Cincinnati, um, Lots and lots of ones for young people, of course, because that's kind of the bread and butter of ed programs. The Zoo Academy High School started, and that's been an ongoing and good program. You know, it gives a lot of opportunity for kids that wouldn't get those opportunities otherwise. First time to come work at a zoo, experience what we're doing here. A lot of them end up working at the zoo part-time while they're students. You know, they can work on the weekends or the summer. So it's a real good kind of experiential ed program in addition to the classes they take. And so I sort of grew up with that program. Then in um, the year 2000, at the beginning of the year, I left and went to Seattle for a couple of years and helped found an outdoor ed center there called Islandwood that's out on Bainbridge Island off of Seattle. And that was a lot of fun. But there's the old saying that sounds a little like a joke, but it's true that you can take the boy out of the zoo, but you can't take the zoo out of the boy. At zoos, we are spoiled that we're so busy and we're so popular. Yeah. You know, I mean, yesterday, spring day, even with limits on attendance, we had 7,000 visitors. Today, so nice, probably have another 7,000. You know, at many, many nature centers, especially a resident outdoor ed center like that that's a little like Camp Kern or Camp Joy, you know, if there were 50 people there, it would be a big old busy day. So um, 25 years of the chaos and kinetic energy of a zoo was a little much for a small place like that. So, uh, and my stories worked better here. You know, out in Seattle, if you say, I should probably mention I'm from the South, they don't even know where the South is. They, they think you mean Tacoma. But, uh, so, yeah, so right fit talent, I came back. That's awesome. Have you kept up with the dean that told you to not <laughs> work here? That's a good question. You, you know, not of late, yeah. but it was cute. That, that was in uh, 77. Mm-hmm. 
And within about five years, you know, all programs morph and, and adapt. Uh, they didn't certainly have a degree in zoo management, but they did have some classes uh, that they taught about uh, zoos and conservation as well as zoos and, uh, you know, captive management, you know, the role of captive breeding and conservation, things like that, you know, sort of the biology side of zoos. Um, so that was interesting. So a couple times I did chat with them about it. But, That's great. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, there's generational change. In fact, it's intriguing to me to see general, generational change now in the zoo field and our field because um, uh, there's a, a layer of folks younger than me that are in uh, sort of the leadership team here, and we'll say they're in their 40s and 50s. And then there's, of course, the whole team coming up that's bringing a whole new level, as you said, of care, of training, of uh, animal excellence. Um, I mean, it's, it is funny to look back. We did most of the things that we do now, if you think of, okay, we had all these programs, but they did not have nearly the, the staffing, the funding, right. uh, the, the sort of background that they do now, the substance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was wondering, what's your favorite part about being the director of the zoo? Well, you know, I've been fortunate my whole career to be able to work both with people and with animals. Uh, and I am a people person. I'm the youngest from a big southern family, so I'm more than happy to be gregarious and go chat with everybody and tell the zoo story. Uh, but I also am an animal guy. And so whether it was in the ed department in the day or even now, I'll go out and, and give talks. You know, when I can, I certainly want to take animals too because... I learned early on, you go all the way to, say, the Rotary Club, they don't just want to hear you, they want to see something. <laughs> Come on. You're the zoo guy, you should have brought something. Right. Um, I think I've taken an American alligator to probably every single person in the tri-state over the years. <laughs> you know, in, a, in a surprise move, I brought an alligator, yeah. Um, but boy, as they say, that can come back to bite you. I was canoeing this winter in North Florida down a river I'd not canoed on before. And let me tell you something, the gators are back. Oh, My man. gosh, it was like in Africa. I mean, they were everywhere. And at the end of this, we'd gone, you know, for three or four days. We'd go to where we we're going to take out, and there was a family of obviously local folks, two adults and three kids, swimming in oh this river, I'm jumping oh, in and wow. splashing. And I'm like, aren't you scared of the gators? And they're like, oh, no, not in the middle of the day. I completely disagree. I've never seen so many gators. I <laughs> just hope you don't tip your canoes on accident. But boy, that's a hopeful story because when I was a kid, now we're talking you know, 50, 60 years ago, you couldn't have found a gator if you had to. In town where the lakes were, where everybody lived, you go out at night, try to with a big flashlight, no way. When we would try to find them, we'd go to my good friend, lived way in the middle of nowhere. I mean, dirt road, nowhere. And you might see a few eye shines. Now, in my hometown, I've done this, the quaint little uh, botanical garden, it's, it couldn't be more manicured and polished up. I mean, it's nothing but snazzy. You can find gator shines down there at night. I mean, my <laughs> God, or golf courses, wherever. They're, they're absolutely everywhere, yeah. Well, well, that was one of my questions, which I knew the answer to. Well, I think I do. Your yeah. favorite animal is the American yeah, alligator. I, I is may that true? I, it is the American alligator, and I, I have always said that, partly because of so much time spent in and on the water down in central Florida back in the day. And then, of course, after that, starting really once I was growing up and the Endangered Species Act hit, I mean, they've made a major comeback. Now, 
that you're clearly on the menu, buddy. I mean, if you go down this river, you think I am not wanting to fall in here. Uh, I may have to reassess that to like a sandhill crane or something that yeah. represents the same ecosystem but less danger. Yeah. There you go. But yeah, a lot of people probably don't know that alligators were almost hunted to extinction. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And they have an incredible comeback story. Yeah. And, and we're fortunate. So many species, particularly North American species, have made a comeback. And it's a great sign of resilience. And we need to learn those lessons, which is if you can stop, in that case, directly poaching or just destroying a habitat, animals will bounce back. So will plants. Yeah, I know here in Ohio you can see the bald eagles going back. Yeah, and that's like crazy. Great sign of just the ecosystem and the health of the general area, too. Mm-hmm. So if you see a bald eagle, then you know that you're doing pretty well to help the other animals and plants mm-hmm. and everything yeah. in between. Yeah, it's great. So you mentioned that you love people and you love animals. Is that your favorite part about the being the director is that you get to work with both? With both, and yeah. You mentioned that you are a people person, and I, I think... I hope you know this, but you are so popular. Everyone <laughs> loves you. We love you. I don't think there are any other zoos where the director knows so many people's names, not just employees, but Ooh, we members and guests that, that come. Yeah. And yeah, so I hope you know how loved you are. Well, you're nice to say but, that. You know, our zoo is very fortunate that we are really beloved in this town. Yeah. We've been around almost 150 years. We're a zoo town. Because yeah. ask those same people about Fiona. Or you could say, can you name five other animals at the zoo? And they'd be able to. You know, we're that town. So we're lucky that way. Um, and people do love the zoo. And, and uh, I've always gotten a kick out of representing the zoo. In fact, I'll say a funny thing that I will say has changed over the years. Like everybody, when I started, I started at the zoo because animals. Mm-hmm. I'm an animal guy. I'm a biologist. I want to help wildlife. All those things are still true. But the most charming thing that happens to me is I can be at the gas station I can be out jogging, and people will stop me, and they'll want to talk about the zoo. Yeah. The zoo's important to me. My kids grew up there. My kids went to zoo camp. My daughter became a veterinarian. I mean, uh, the zoo plays a big role in this community, so that's, that's a fun thing. So It does, yeah. It makes me super proud to work here. Yeah. I'm not from Cincinnati, so I didn't plan on staying. I came for an internship, mm-hmm. and there you go. I'm so happy I came <laughs> here. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not recognizable as Thane, right? And if I wear my zoo polo out to Kroger's yeah. and I'm going through the checkout line, I have a oh, yeah. conversation with the cashier. Hey, tell me about this you're going on. Hey, we're going this weekend. What do we? What's there to see? So yes. Cincinnati really is yeah. a zoo town, and, and people do resonate with the, the message that the zoo puts out. We're lucky that way all the way around. Yeah. The, the support that we get, like in the pandemic year, holy moly, the zoo had to be closed. People kept joining and supporting us and sending contributions to the emergency fund and we weren't even really out pitching it it's just people said we're with you we want you to succeed and um and it's worked pretty well yeah and that was a little over 80 days not that anybody's counting wow. but right yeah yeah it was it was a it was a big force with the city coming together and the people all across the country with the mm-hmm. home safaris being able to oh my gosh connect yeah. to people all over the world it was, it was fantastic isn't that wild the popularity of how to reach people. Oh my gosh, yeah. Something else. Social media is crazy these days. It can do a lot of good. It can do some harm, but it can do a lot of good too. Well, I know Jenna asked your favorite overall facet of being director Mm -hmm. here at the zoo in your time here, but I'd like to maybe look a little bit forward and ask what are you looking forward to the most with the future of the Cincinnati Zoo? Sure. Well, you know, it is interesting. This arc of progress that our zoo and other AZA zoos have made is really something when you think of uh, the level of commitment that zoos have. Um, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, haven't been here a long, long time. Our budget at the zoo, before we got our first tax levy, 
support, which at that time was $1 million a year. Our whole budget was only $1 million a year. So when that came, it was a game changer, and that led to the growing of a lot of the programs we've talked about. And we still receive less taxes than other zoos, any other zoo in Ohio, for instance. But it's real important to us, uh, and the taxpayers of Hamilton County are good to support us. But as things have grown and grown and grown, every single area of the zoo has a lot more depth, a lot more substance, um, and that's a neat thing to see. You know, So just in the last 15 years, what we've done with sustainability um, of really taking it seriously, like, okay, how do we cut our water bill and our energy use, which is a good thing to do for nature and reduce our carbon footprint, but also in practical Midwest terms, it's good because it saves money. We used to waste so much money on water, it's just right. absolutely crazy. And so by changing some practices, fixing busted things, putting in cisterns underneath, you know, the next thing you know, Fiona's swimming in rainwater. So uh, doing things smarter has been really interesting. Uh, we've certainly had a growing interest in our botanical garden, which has been fun. We've been a garden forever. We were founded as Cincinnati Zoological Garden, but it's really taken on, uh, taken on a new life of its own in the last handful of years. So I would say a neat one that we're putting more emphasis on as we move forward now is around conservation. Crew, of course, has been around for more, excuse me, more than 40 years. That's the zoo's research program where they're experts on rhinos and polar bears and wildcats and endangered plants. And that's very substantial. Um, as I mentioned, seven PhDs working all over the world. But this idea of where is the zoo really involved and committed to conservation and how do we grow that to be even more substantial? And we have some long-standing programs that we've done with uh, gorillas in the Congo and working, as I said, with the Maasai in the South Rift Valley, uh, with other endangered animals, everybody from rhinos to lions. And yet, uh, it's probably something that's our best-kept secret. Not as many people know about that, and I think we can grow to be even more effective. The reason that I joined the zoo business way back when, I felt the same thing then as I feel now, which is zoos greatest strength is that we're open to everybody. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have a Subaru. You don't have to be in the Sierra Club. <laughs> everybody that goes to Kroger's goes to the zoo. So that's our opportunity to tell the story to everybody. Because the trouble is sometimes wildlife conservation, environmental protection, climate change and carbon issues somehow get shunted off and people say, oh, oh we can't afford that. Or, oh, you're a lefty. You're over there with, you know, whomever, Al Gore. When the truth is everybody benefits. Everybody benefits from conservation. Definitely. In fact, one of my favorite lines is that protecting nature equals protecting people. That, that That's what it's actually about. It's good that the eagles have come back, but yeah. they've come back because the water's cleaner, mm -hmm. there's more fish, and we drink out of that river. So it's good for us that they're back, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, that river used to be polluted. Oh, Can yeah. you imagine, not just in the 60s when famously the Cuyahoga River caught on fire, but how about the 1860s when it all, all pollution of any kind just flowed right into the Ohio, uh, and then they drank out of it. Uh, that's scary. You know, yeah, people I, had to be tough. Yeah, <laughs> you bring up a great point, though. That's I, Jenna's whole idea from starting this podcast was, you know, conservation doesn't need to be this big idea. You know, we wanted to bring it to sizable chunks where people can yeah. have an impact, so they can do little things here and there to make a bigger impact as a yeah, whole. Absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. it's not like we all have to do a million things right. We can each do a few things exactly. right, you know, yeah. or help or every day. So yeah. there's hope, and that's the best there part. There is indeed. There and is indeed. You it. know, and that's a big part of the zoo's message is to try to say, yes, there are real problems, mm -hmm. but 
there is reason to be hopeful. You know, if there's anything that I think that's too bad that's really happened like crazy in the last handful of years is there's so much negative news. Uh, there's so much negative news about nature. Mm-hmm. Whether that's, you know, polar bears and the ice, it's the tropics and biodiversity, just there's a ton that's negative. Some of it's uh, over-the-top negative. You'll read interviews where experts will say things like, well, it's too late, the Arctic tundra is melting, and we'll never stop it, and the world's just going to come to an end. That is not true. That is not true. The world is not coming to an end. Now, there are big challenges, and we need to be smarter about what we do and, and face those, but that does not mean we should declare defeat, because that's just crazy. The world is resilient. All the issues we've talked about, whether that's comeback of species or the protection of, of habitat where it can come back, um, if there's enough biodiversity near there and you hold the system steady and quit wrecking it, it'll come back to what it was. Um, and we need to communicate that more. And the zoo tries to be both realistic and, and have a positive take on things. Yeah, definitely. And I think that... The whole point of the zoo being here is to hopefully inspire people to care enough mm-hmm. and, and want to do those. Exactly. Diff- make those differences. So do you have something that you dislike about your job? Is there something that's the least fun for you? Well, I am not a big meeting person. So the idea of a <laughs> meeting that lasts longer than an hour, I'm sitting there thinking, I bet you we have real work to do. <laughs> right. um, so, yeah, so long meetings, okay. I'm, I'm not a big fan. And... Um, I think pretty much everyone around the world that has access to a computer is a little tired of Zoom meetings. Oh, my oh, yeah. gosh. <laughs> because yes. aren't they all kind of the same meeting? Yes. They're, they're yeah. just kind of the same They always meeting. blend together. Now, <laughs> the upside is they are much more efficient. Yes. If you, say, normally would be involved, say, on a, a committee with the National Zoo, in the old days it sounds silly, but you get on an airplane and go to a meeting for a couple days and come back. Well, what a luxury, right? But with that, you'd meet your colleagues, you'd connect with them, you'd learn about what they're doing, they'd learn about what you're doing, you build relationships, and that's how social primates do things. Right. So, yes, it's more efficient to, instead of spending three days and $2,000 to chat over Zoom for a few minutes, still, <laughs> there's not much relationship. Building. Exactly. Everybody's looking at the TV like, is it time to go yet or not? You never know when to talk. You don't know if somebody's oh, about to finish oh. and you don't want to interrupt, but you have something to say. And, yeah, and then, of so course, hard. the worst is... You take a breath and you're like, oh, man, I've got another Zoom meeting. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm sure you have so uh, many so meetings. there's that, yeah. Uh, Sam, do you have a, a special quiz today? Oh, I do. Oh, yeah. come on. Yeah, you ready for this thing? I'm, I'm in. Okay, so every podcast, I try to create a little quiz kind of on the topics that we're talking about here. Sure. And I have the um, guest talk with Jenna and go head-to-head on see who can oh, answer okay. the better questions for here. So this is just a general zoo an aquarium, it's, it's four questions long. It's not a long one, but um, just general questions, okay? Yeah. okay? So the first category is oldest zoo. So I'm going to give you two choices, and then you'll have to tell me which one you think is the correct one. Sure. So what do you think the oldest zoo in the world is? Do you think it's the Vienna Zoo or the Berlin Zoo? I think Vienna. Okay. And I, I say that. Because it didn't surprise me when you said it, and I think it was it, certainly those early, early days of sort of a, a royal menagerie collection. I, Jenny, I, I, do I don't answer? know the answer, so I'm going with Thane. <laughs> that was exactly right. <laughs> it was. Yeah, so the Berlin Zoo opened in 1844, but the Vienna Zoo was that, the royal menagerie. It's, it's the, I'm going to butcher this, but the Tiergarten Schönbrunn, which is the Schönbrunn Animal Garden, which is the royal garden for the menagerie of 
animals, and that was opened in 1752. Wow. So, still the oldest continuously operating zoo. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, our zoo had German roots with Andrew Erkenbrecher yeah. and other German immigrants in the heyday. I mean, the heyday of this town was the, uh, after the Civil War, still big, big emphasis on the river and river boats. And I understand they tried to model this just like, say, the zoo in Stuttgart and zoo in Frankfurt, which was an urban garden, with uh-huh. beautiful gardens and exotic animals and, and social, you know, cultural events. And we opened in 1876? 1875 for visitors, okay. and but we were established in 1873. Okay. Yeah. All right. So next is the largest zoo. So do you think the Toronto Zoo or the North Carolina Zoo is the largest zoo in the world? Well, I have been to both, and they both are very big. I know Toronto offers the ability to go um, uh, uh, cross-country skiing there. Oh, my gosh. Wow. But <laughs> I'm going to say North Carolina Zoo because the first time – a number of us went from our zoo, and we're going to meet with David Jones, their legendary director, who's now retired. We followed GPS. We pulled up to this building. looked really prim and proper. We walk in. We're here to see Dr. Jones. She says, well, you know, he's not in this building. He's over in the administration building. I said, great. We'll, we'll walk over there. She says, son, it's five miles from here. Wow. <laughs> it's a big zoo. So that would be my vote, but they're both pretty big. Okay. I'm going to Toronto just to play devil's advocate. Okay. So the Toronto Zoo is 710 acres. But the North Carolina Zoo is located on 2,600 acres. So, largest zoo. About 500 is developed right now, so it's got room to grow. So, that might be a little controversial right there. But, yeah, the North Carolina, as far as landmass right now, is the largest zoo. I've never even heard about that being so big. Yeah. Yeah. Randolph County, south of Asheboro. It's an interesting long-term play because they did not build it, you know, next to Charlotte or next to Raleigh. It's kind of a ways off. Okay. It's like going to the wilds, kind of. So oh, yeah, so I wonder how many guests they get. Yeah. yeah. Okay, now an aquarium question. Here we go. Here we go. A little bit out of our comfort zone here. What is the largest aquarium? Is it the Georgia Aquarium or the Singapore Aquarium? Well, you know what? The Georgia Aquarium is a good aquarium. They have whale sharks. That's something. And I've been there. It's downtown Atlanta, but I'll say Singapore. Okay. I was going to go with Singapore also. You're right. The Georgia Aquarium has 12 million gallons, but the uh, Singapore Aquarium has about 12, or the Georgia Aquarium has 10 million gallons. And then okay. the, the Singapore Aquarium is running about 12 million gallons with about more than 800 species right now. Wow. So, I've aquarium. not been to Singapore, but I've met people from the staff um, at both the zoo there and the nighttime zoo and then also the aquarium, and they seem uh, like real pros. I was going to say, it's yeah. pretty pretty. A pretty good zoo, yeah, I think, renowned. from what I've seen. I mean, in I can only videos. imagine because I've been to the Georgia Aquarium, and when you're sitting there looking at the whale sharks swimming yeah, around, it's awe-inspiring. Yeah, yeah. So, wow. So the last question I have—it's a fill in the blank. What is the greenest zoo? May have touched on this. This isn't a trick question. Sure. <laughs> well, hands down, I'd say it's Cincinnati. Oh, State. that's right. <laughs> and there's so many charming stories about that. That really was begun by and is still led by Mark Fisher who's a civil engineer who came from Turner Construction. He had worked helping build our big new exhibits and 15 years ago came full-time on staff. He was not hired to make us the Green Zoo in America. He was hired to be an engineer and help us both fix our facilities and build new facilities. One thing led to the next, and from the very first day, he's like, well, I don't know if you know this, but engineers measure things and they don't waste things, and all we're doing is wasting water. This is day one. He's like, if you turn on every faucet full blast, you couldn't use this much water. We're just pouring it down the drain. Oh, my gosh. And I said, are you sure? He said, well, it has to go somewhere, and it's not going anywhere else. Anyway, but following that thread, 
whether it's our solar panels, whether it's the wide variety of things we do, uh, we're certainly recognized as the yeah. Green Zoo, and that irritates the tar out of my colleagues in towns like <laughs> Seattle right. and Portland and San Francisco because those places want to really be green. But what really bothers them is we do all that and we save money. Yeah. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's a Midwest thing. <laughs> right? Yeah, I look forward to interviewing Mark here sometime soon about oh, being boy, in the yeah. suit. Something we're really proud of. Yeah. I, I have one last question. Sure. I'll let you get to yours, but yeah, I yeah. would be remiss if I did not ask this because I was at my grandpa's 92nd birthday yesterday and we were talking about this podcast. Yeah. And, you know, I was talking to my Uncle Tom. I said, hey, would you have any questions for Thane? You know, yeah. if you could ask him that. So this, this question comes courtesy of Uncle Tom. There you go. <laughs> he wants to know what is your dream job? If oh, it wasn't director go. of the zoo. Well, that's an interesting that question. question. Yeah. Um, well, to be honest, this is my dream job, and I'm, I'm fortunate because I'm you know older than your dad uh, to have had a dream career. You know, as I joke with my wife, uh, boy, this all worked out better than anybody expected. Because <laughs> way back when we got married, and then I first got this job, I remember my father-in-law's friends. You know, in a stage whisper, I'd hear him say. Mike, for God's sake, the kid works at the zoo. That's never going to work out. <laughs> uh, so, so that's real, and it's that combination of I um, uh, do like to tell stories, and the zoo, if you boil down what a zoo really is here for, as she says, to inspire people, and it's to tell the story of wildlife. Mm-hmm. Because it, people are people. It is more compelling to see the animals in person, to meet with the people that care for them, it's great to see a video, an inspiring video. I mean, there's never going to be somebody better at that than David Attenborough. Mm-hmm. He invented doing it yes. on radio and yep. TV. And still, seeing the animal in person and hearing those stories and meeting all the people involved. I mean, you know that. When you can tell people, not just about Fiona because she's so famous, but other animals that you know in person. So it's not like you're talking about some theory from you know Wikipedia. You're talking about that animal. Right. Uh, people just love it. It's important to them. Everyone loves to learn the names of the animals that mm-hmm. live here and get to know their personalities. And my mom, uh, I mentioned I'm not from Cincinnati. I'm from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Mm-hmm. So her favorite thing to do is come to the zoo. And while I love it and I also have my dream job, I don't always want to come on my weekend. No. Oh, but yeah, every exactly. time she visits, you know, we almost every time we come, we come to the zoo. And she just every time mentions how she loves that there are volunteers or keepers out mm-hmm. everywhere because she likes to ask them questions yeah. rather than hearing it. You know, from sure. a video or from somebody yeah. who maybe doesn't actually work with those animals. She wants to hear the stories from the people oh, that yeah, know the animals sure. best. And I think that's one of the coolest things about our zoo is that we do always have people out and about. Mm-hmm. And usually they are experts in their areas mm-hmm. about and know the animals and can Correct. explain and tell stories about them. And yeah. yeah, and people are just so inspired once they get to know the animals on a personal level almost. You know, in those programs... Uh, reaching people, sort of random visitors out on the ground, are a big part of our success because we're not a tourist town. So many of our visitors, most of our visitors are members, and they come a lot. Mm-hmm. And that gives them something that's really interesting and different versus if you were to go to Disney's Animal Kingdom, you might only go once in your whole life, or even San Diego, too, you know, in towns that are tourist towns. So uh, it's a different, more intimate experience, yeah. So if you had a pick, is there any other job you would be interested in? Well, you know, it's funny you say that. Uh, Over the years, I have done a lot with the media. So I've done my radio show, you know, for 34 years, The 92nd Naturalist, and and written books and done some TV. And the general theme behind all of that, with some modicum of success, is keep your day job. 
<laughs> it, it seems like, oh my gosh, yeah, yeah that's great. You know, do the show and you do the book. And you know, is, is when I sent off the sort of sample tape for that radio show before we started to air it in 87. Wow. Um, I sent it to a friend in New York who's done a lot of media, and he listened to it, and, and he said, listen, it'll work. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. He says, but you need to do one thing. And I thought, this is it. This is my big break. I'm going to become David Attenborough. I thought he'd say you need an agent or you have to change the title. And he said, no, keep your day. You're not, you're not going to make a living at it. You're just going to do it. And, you know, that's the way it is. So. Are you still recording new episodes? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, that's fun. Well, I will say that with your TV show, I did see an interview with Sarah Jessica Parker one time where she was wow. th- th- singing the theme song yeah. of, of the song. I was like, you know what? It's, it's spread around. So there you go. <laughs> we should bring it cut back. yourself short. Yeah. Oh, unbelievable. I know. Unbelievable, really. Well, my daughter, Lily, who you know, when she was young, and she's the youngest and guileless, somebody called the house. And we'll, I don't know how old she was, but let's say 12. And I could... St- Tell they were saying something about my radio show, and she said, "Oh, it's not that big a deal. It's the same story every day. He just changed the names of the animals." And that's kind of true when you think about interpreting nature. Everything in the whole wide world is more similar than different. So you're like, "Yeah, well, I guess a mosquito solves that problem a little differently than an elephant." But let's let's just go with it. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, I love it so much. So I think we're probably at that time where Jenna, Jenna, do you want to ask the question? Yes. Thane, what can I do? What would be your one tip that I can do to be a better steward of the earth? You know, as you said, Jenna, the zoo's here to inspire people. And one of the most inspirational times in my whole career was, believe it or not, a long time ago, in May of 1994, E.O. Wilson, the famous behavioral ecologist from Harvard, some people say the greatest biologist since Darwin, he spoke for the zoo, sellout crowd. And at the end of his talk, someone enthusiastically from the back row said, Dr. Wilson, Dr. Wilson, you've been talking about biodiversity and conservation. What can we do in Cincinnati? And off the top of his head, and I know because I drove him home, and I said, man, that was amazing. Is that in one of your books? He said, no, it just came to me. He said, we must do three things to protect nature. Educate, educate, educate argue, 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 and explain, explain, explain. And so the guy in the back, Dr. Wilson, Dr. Wilson, why did you repeat yourself? And he said, because I've done this long enough, I know that no matter how well I do it tonight on a Tuesday night, I have to wake up and do it again on a Wednesday. And I love that image because personally, I think sometimes we fold over too easily when someone says, oh yeah, you know, we can't afford to have clean air and clean water. It's fine to talk to him and say, what are you even talking about? We can't afford to not have clean water, right? right? Yeah. For your children, for yourselves, for the world. Nature's what supports us, and we should be willing to say that. But also is recognition that in conservation, there's no finish line. You can, we could have the biggest success we ever have, but establish a giant protected area, and then we'd have to tomorrow say, okay, now we got to defend it, we got to protect it, we got to hire staff, and what are we going to do next? And, you know, But that's good. That's good work. So I think people can... Speak their truth and tell people uh, that it does make sense to protect nature and to go green and that it's affordable and not too expensive. We just need to be smarter with the things we do, less wasteful. Great. I love it. So, yeah, educate, keep telling others, fight for everything. That's right. We believe in. And wake up and do it again. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's for sure. Yes. Well, thank you so much oh, this for is spending fun. I your love time your podcast. with us. Oh, thank you. Zoo Tales. <laughs> yes. <Yep. laughs> so I'm Jenna. And I'm Sam. And this is Cincinnati Zoo Tales.